I wanted to start by saying Scott, Natalie, Brad, Forrest, Hope, Brandon, Shelley, Mark, and Hetty, you are walking into the middle of a firing squad. I'm not joking. And Russ, Linda, Kyle, Mitch, Austin, Laura, Jesse, Rhonda, Stephanie, Malcolm, Leah, Angie, Aaron, and I are glad you're joining us there. <laughs> okay? If you don't think that is true, please talk to Stephanie, Malcolm, or Leah, and they will verify what I just told you. Last year, before this semester began, in the fall semester, I shared these notes with our servant team and with the new staff, and we all found these very things to be very true. And we've seen this in our ministry, in other people's ministries, and I can guarantee you, in some form or another, you will see it in your ministry. And so this is vital for you to know and understand. So we're going to start by reading Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. And somebody that likes to speak loudly should read that for us. <laughs> yes, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. so we don't need to dwell on it too much right now. But I wanted to start by saying the context of this passage, Ephesians 4 through 5, deals with relationships, both in the church and in families. And the principle that you need to know is you can't fight alone or you're dead. And that's partly why we're doing this conference here this week, this new staff training. We all are a team. And if we fight alone, we're dead. If we stand together, we survive. And we thrive. And we make a difference for Christ. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And I want to encourage you that there are two options in ministry, victory or failure. Those are your options. There's not a middle ground. General Patton, who I love to read about and learn about, when he was about to have his first battle in northern Africa fighting the Nazis in World War II, he wrote to his wife and he said, I will either leave this battlefield a hero or a corpse. <laughs> and a great comment. And I think that should be our attitude in ministry. Not for our own heroism, right? But to be able to say, I'm going to go into this knowing that I'm either going to die or make a difference for Christ. This isn't a halfway issue. I'm all in, kind of like Kyle reminded us this morning. If you aren't walking in the Spirit, you will crash and burn. That's all there is to it. When we're challenged by Paul to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power... We're challenged that way because you can't survive in your own strength and abilities. And your flesh is going to want to convince you that you can. And that, again, is part of 
the attack. <laughs> that's part of the battle. That's part of the lie that we all can be tempted to buy into. We have to be strong in the Holy Spirit's power if we're ever going to survive this battle and make a difference for Christ. Ephesians 6.11 goes on saying, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And I'm going to pick this apart a little bit. Kyle has broken this down so many times that it is almost second nature to me. So thank you, Kyle, for elaborating on these verses. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You don't have to turn to every verse I read this morning because I'm going to go kind of fast. Our time is limited, so bear with me. And most of these references will be in the leadership packet starting on page 84. But I wanted to start by talking about this word enemy, which in the Greek is antidikos. I'm sure I mispronounced that. But it literally means an opponent, an adversary, or an accuser in court, an enemy. That's who Satan is to you. And in Job 1, we learn that he's roaming the earth looking for someone unaware and weak to devour. Actually, we're told that uh, very specifically in Job 1, how he is seeking to harm Job, who is loving God. Ephesians 6.11 tells us also that he schemes against you. And that word scheme is methodoia, and it means a strategy to attack you. It's something that is not willy-nilly, so to say. He knows your weaknesses, and he knows your other weaknesses, and your other weaknesses. And he's going to get you hard where it hurts, and then when you're ready to stand there, he'll get you somewhere else where it hurts just as much. And you can expect this your first year, more than any other time in ministry. I don't think Satan will attack you less your second, third, fourth, fifth years. It's just you'll start to get tough skin and start to understand, be aware of the attacks that are coming. You won't know what they are necessarily. I thought we knew all the attacks that Satan could throw at us. And then at the end of this last semester, we had this bizarre situation where one student ended up filing a lawsuit and getting a restraining order against another student and their little groups of friends that were growing. Their baby Christians on both sides were weird about coming to events if the other person was there. It was so bizarre. And I thought, I, this never even crossed my mind, right? But it was an obvious attack. And God has resolved that. But be aware. And be aware where you are able to be hit. Know yourself. Know where you're weak. And be able to build up those defenses in the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy 3.7 and 2 Timothy 2.26 both tell us that he sets snares and traps for you. Throughout your week, throughout your day, throughout the semester. I don't know what those snares and traps are. They might be not liking a certain student in your ministry. They might be not feeling healthy. They might be who knows what, but they're going to be there, and you should be aware of them. In Revelation 12, verses 9 through 10, we hear that our enemy deceives the whole world and accuses believers. In Revelation 20, verse 10, he's called the deceiver. He will be lying to you continually. That's part of the attack. In John 10, 10, we're told that he steals, kills, and destroys, and he can't take your salvation but he will try to steal from you. He'll try to kill and destroy your effectiveness for Christ. This is not a passive issue to him. The multiplication that starts with your ministry that you're about to enter into will, Lord willing, continue till Jesus comes. If he can nip that in the bud now, he will. And I promise you he is going to try. So you can be ready for that. With that in mind, I want you to have the right perspective about your enemy. Jude verse 9 
says, Even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. So obviously, in the spiritual realm, there's an understanding of the power and authority that Satan has. He's not a weakling, and he should not be disregarded as such. But you have authority, right? He's stronger than you, but you have authority over him. In Luke 10, 19-20, Jesus tells his disciples, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So what that means, again, the Greek here, exosia, is power of choice, physical and mental power, the power of authority and influence, and of right privilege, the power to rule in government, the power of him whose will and commands must be submitted to by others and obeyed. That's the authority that you've been given over Satan and the spiritual realms in Christ. So even though he is very powerful, you have authority over him. And when you get attacked and suffer from that, when you lose the battle, it's because you're not exercising the authority that you have over your adversary. So don't underemphasize him, and we'll get to that more in a minute. But exercise the authority you have. The analogy that I've heard is that it's like a policeman stopping traffic. The semi-truck coming down the road is much stronger than the policeman and could run him over and kill him instantly. But he has authority that's been given to him that when he puts his hand up, the truck must stop. And that's the authority that you have over Satan in your life and ministry. The authority directly from God. Now with that authority, I want to encourage you, and Scripture tells us in Ephesians 4.27, the same passage just a little bit before chapter 6, not to give the devil a foothold, right? Not to give him a place that he could get into your life. And that word foothold in the Greek literally means a place, a space, an opportunity, power, or occasion for acting. So you're giving him an opportunity to act in your life. And Ephesians 4 tells us some of those footholds. The context is knowing the truth. If we're not knowing the truth, we're giving him a foothold. Putting off the old self. If I'm living in my old self, I'm giving him a foothold. Being made new in your thinking. If I'm not controlling my thinking, I'm giving him a foothold. Putting on the new self and walking in righteousness and holiness. If I'm not walking in righteousness and holiness, I'm giving him a foothold. Right? Having no unresolved anger. If I'm letting anger or bitterness stay there, I'm giving him a foothold. Being a diligent worker. If I'm being lazy in what I'm called to do, I'm giving him a foothold. Speaking good, not evil. If I'm gossiping, slandering, talking badly, I'm giving him a foothold. Getting rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice. If I'm giving any of those a place in my life, I'm giving him a foothold. And being kind, compassionate, and forgiving to each other. If I'm not doing those things, I'm giving him a foothold. Those are just some. Obviously, there are others, but those are the ones in the Ephesians 4 context. And so my encouragement to you is as you exercise the authority you have in Christ, not to be giving the devil a foothold actively, because he'll take advantage of it. He is not going to miss one foothold. He won't. He's ready, and he is passionate about getting that foothold and stopping you in your tracks. So going on to Ephesians 6, verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So where does the attack come from? First, as we've been discussing, the attack comes from Satan, right? 
Remember, he is your enemy and he schemes against you. He sets snares and traps for you. He is constantly updating and switching up his attack. He's looking for footholds into your life and ministry. He deceives the whole world. He accuses believers and he steals, kills, and destroys. He's your adversary. That's the first place that the attack comes from. The other two are linked closely to his attack as well. Your flesh is a place where a lot of the attack will come from. Your flesh hates what you're about to do with your life. Your flesh is not going to be excited to share your faith, right? Your flesh will tell you, I want to be liked. I don't want to be disliked. Your flesh is not going to be excited to work long hours. Your flesh is not going to be excited to leave everything on the playing field, so to say. Your flesh is going to want to be comfortable, want to relax, want to have breaks, want to enjoy itself. Your flesh will be a big part of the attack. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Your heart is deceitful and beyond cure. And it will attack you in ministry. And your own heart will try to oppose what God is doing through your life. And you'll see this. Romans 7, 18 says, Nothing good lives in me. That's Paul speaking. And that is often the case as we strive to serve God in ministry. It's not from me. It's from him. And everything in me likes to battle against what he's doing in my life and ministry. Philippians 3.3 reminds us to put no confidence in the flesh. So your flesh will be a big aspect of the attack. Don't trust it. You have to walk daily in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not trusting your own ability to do anything for God. But realizing your incredible dependence on Him on a daily basis. 1 John 2.15-17 tells us the third part of the attack. And this is the world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The world, the system of the world, the administration at your campus, unbeknownst to them, are in sync with Satan himself to attack your ministry. I got numerous emails throughout this semester by an atheistic administrator. Nate, we need to talk about separation of church and state. Blah, blah, blah. And I'd write him back, you know that the Supreme Court has ruled multiple times that that does not apply to college campuses. I didn't know that. (laughs) We should still talk. So we sat down and talked. And I told him, I just want you to know that if you bring anything up to limit our ministry... I will be knocking on your door instantly, and we are not backing down. And he goes, I wouldn't expect less of you. (laughs) But the reality is that the world and its desires are fighting against you and your ministry. And that might take the form of an administrator, or it might take the form of a billboard that catches your attention on the way to campus. Or who knows what else? The internet. Whatever. On a side note, it used to be relationships in ministry that were the primary thing that took people out of ministry. Now, from what I hear, it's predominantly pornography. So that's an aspect of the world that is going to attack. And there are so many things just like it. Romans 12, 1 through 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. We're different than this world, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Right, so those three different 
entities are going to be warring against your effectiveness in ministry. Be aware of them. Ephesians 6.13, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. So we're going to pick this apart a little bit, but first of all, put on the full armor. The day of evil is coming. Don't be passive about your foe like Neville Chamberlain was about Hitler. Peace in our time, he said, as he gave away entire countries to Hitler, not realizing how he was aiding Hitler's conquest of Europe and potentially the world. We can be like that in ministry, seeking so much just for peace from attack that we're willing to give anything away. The day of evil is coming. Don't be passive about it. That's my challenge to you. It will come. Ephesians 6 doesn't say if it comes. It says it will come. Right? So the day of evil is coming. You will be attacked in your ministry. Be ready for it. Don't underemphasize or overemphasize the spiritual battle. Right? I grew up in a denominational perspective where this was overemphasized in crazy, ridiculous ways. All right? And I might explain some of those today. But I want to encourage you not to go there, but also not to underemphasize it. Remember Elisha's servant in 2 Kings 6. It was unaware of the spiritual battle. He was looking at physical circumstances, not at all realizing what God was doing behind the scenes. And I want to encourage you to realize what God is doing behind the scenes when your attitude doesn't feel like it, when circumstances don't look like it, when you feel like Kyle Mitch said, like you're plowing the ground with your face, okay? To realize, I'm not alone. There is an army with me, an army of other master plan staff, an army of many believers beyond that. And God and all of his spiritual armies backing me in this. So I want to encourage you not to underemphasize or overemphasize. This is not a grown-up version of Dungeons and Dragons. Okay? <laughs> I've heard believers trying to discover the names of demons by reading names on bars and then verbally kicking them by those names out of town. Okay, that was part of my upbringing. We walked around the city of Joshua where I grew up, finding all the demonic names and trying to kick them out of town. This is ridiculous. Right? It's not anywhere in scripture. <laughs> Fighting imaginary dragons with invisible golden swords. I didn't do that. <laughs> but that was a big part of the quote-unquote Toronto blessing. No joke. Uh, putting wooden stakes with verses written into them into the ground on high points around the city of Durango. I've heard of churches in Durango doing this. Like, what an incredible waste of time. There's a city going to hell. <laughs> that you could be sharing with. And you're hiking mountains to drive wooden stakes into the ground? This is not Buffy the Vampire Slayer, okay? <laughs> that is overemphasizing this battle, and it's ignorant of this battle, which is exactly where Satan wants you. So we're not going to go there. The battle isn't a Christian version of Ghostbusters, but it is very real. So don't get taken out of the battle. Every year, staff and students, including leaders, get hit hard. And get taken out of the battle. Sometimes temporarily, sometimes indefinitely. And I want to encourage you now, before you get started, to be aware of that and to not go there. To be able to stand, to persevere and to be faithful when that day comes. Nehemiah 4, 16 through 20, I'm going to read it. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, 
the officials, and the rest of the people. The work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Nehemiah was setting this example for us as he built back the, the walls around Jerusalem and the temple with this concept of the battle that was at hand. And that is how we should live out our ministries wherever they happen to be, whether it's the ranch. God will attack you guys up here. Not God will attack you guys up here. <laughs> God will fight for you guys up here. <laughs> Satan will attack you guys up here, and he'll attack the rest of us on campuses. But God is going to fight for us, and we need to have that perspective, um, not underemphasizing what's going to happen. So be ready and proactive, not reactive. Think offensively. Always look to shore up your defenses and take new ground. I always tell the students, fight to win, not just to survive. If you fight to survive, you don't always win. But if you fight to win, you always survive. So be fighting for something more than just making it. Right? If your vision is strong and you're fighting for that vision, you will survive. So keep the vision strong, as well as the awareness of the attack. And then resist Satan. Ephesians 6.13, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Again, the literal word used here means to set oneself up against and to withstand and to oppose. So this isn't a passive issue. This isn't just when Satan happens to attack, fight like mad and hope it doesn't crash and burn, right? This is, you're going to set yourself up against Satan. So as new staff, you're saying, I'm, I am flat out going against you, Satan. This is an offensive battle. I am setting myself up against all that you're trying to do in the lives of these college students, and I'm bringing them to life. This is offensive, not just defensive. James 4, 7 through 8. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, same word, and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. 1 Peter 5, 9, again, tells us to resist Satan, standing firm in our faith in the midst of suffering. Set yourself up against him and resist him. And remember the verse that precedes that. We already read it, verse 8, which tells us to be self-controlled and alert. Now, the word self-controlled here means to be calm, collected, and circumspect in the midst of attack, right? You're not letting this kill your thinking. You're not letting Satan win the mind battle, but you're calm, you're collected, and you're completely able to rely on God in this. And then alert means to watch and give strict attention to, to be cautious and active. So you're not letting this rule your thinking, and at the same time, you're not being passive, you're alert. And in all of it, you're resisting Satan actively. Do not get complacent about his traps and attacks. Satan is always shifting, tweaking, and maneuvering to destroy you. I cannot stress that enough. And then when you think he can't attack you in one area anymore because you're past that, well, that's where he's going to hit now. He's always ready, so be aware. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 tells us that very thing. If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So we need to be shoring up the defenses and then also watching where we think we're strong, knowing that he could hit us there as well. Going on to verse 14, the first part of verse 14 in Ephesians 6. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now the belt and the armor that Paul is describing here held all the weaponry in place and held all the armor in place. This was the fundamental aspect of his armor, right? And he interestingly calls this what? The belt of truth, right? We all go back to God's word or nothing in this battle stays in place. 
neither the defensive or offensive aspects of your armor or ministry will happen unless it all goes back to truth. Interestingly, not to sound awkward, but the belt covered the reproductive area, the loins. And as we think about spiritual multiplication, it also all goes back to truth, right? So both our protection and our offense and our spiritual multiplication are all tied in to the truth. And that's why Paul puts it here. 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So on staff, I want to encourage you to be watching your life and your doctrine closely, actively, growing in God's word. Using scripture like Jesus did in Matthew 4 to confront attack and to respond to Satan's schemes. Practically walk in the truth, reading, studying, meditating on, and memorizing and applying God's word. That's how you fasten the belt of truth on your waist, practically. Excuse me. Second part of that verse. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate of righteousness protected your vital organs in combat. We practically put on the breastplate of righteousness by walking in his righteousness and practicing righteousness in his power as well. Right? So walk in his righteousness. Philippians 3, 7 through 9 says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So you already have the righteousness of God, and that's the first part of this breastplate of righteousness, walking in that, recognizing what he's done for you and not believing Satan's lies that you're not there, okay? That's the first part of the breastplate of righteousness. The second is avoiding Satan's deception and attacks on the consequences and the consequences of sin, right? Because when we don't practically walk in that righteousness by walking righteous lives, we give him, again, footholds for attack, Right? 1 John 3, 7, little children make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. So we walk in the righteousness that he's already given us, and then we practice that righteousness in our daily lives. Again, people get taken out because of things like porn. They're not practicing his righteousness. And when that happens, we're dead in ministry. We've left ourselves open to attack. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me. Right? If you want no weapon formed against you to prosper, be, white, be walking in the righteousness that is from him. That will protect your vital organs. That will protect your vitality and longevity in ministry. Right? I know that Billy Graham was asked about all the different people, the pastors and leaders that fall in sin and get taken out of the ministry. And his response was, every day, thousands and thousands of airplanes take off and land safely. The only ones we hear about are the ones that crash. Which was a great way to describe the reality that it isn't all pastors and leaders that are getting taken out of ministry because of unrighteousness. But I think that we as a staff team, and it's one of our distinctives, should keep our integrity high so that we don't get taken out of that battle, right? Okay, remember, surrendered, humble obedience is key in this. It's his righteousness. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that were not willing to bow their knee. They walked in humility and in his righteousness, and God preserved them even in the midst of incredible attack. 
So go on to verse 15. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The soldiers' shoes in battle were studded with nails that gave traction and movement in battle. They were a vital part of the armor, and they allowed this person to take new ground for God. A soldier that can't take ground is going nowhere, right? And you and your ministry have to be taking new ground. And that's not going to happen unless your feet are ready and fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So what's the gospel of peace? It's the gospel of reconciliation with God. The gospel that we share with students The gospel can't be dissected. Accepting the gospel, living the gospel, and sharing the gospel are all part of the gospel. Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then can they call on the one who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, interesting, as he talks about evangelism, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's what Paul is talking about here. If you're in ministry and not living the gospel daily, remembering what Christ has done, saying no when Satan tries to remind you of your past, and then sharing that with the world, if you're not active in evangelism in your ministry, you will fail. You will set yourself up for spiritual failure in the battle as soon as you let go of evangelism. That's what Paul is saying here. So practically put on your spiritual shoes by always being ready, living, and sharing the gospel. Evangelism is vital to success in spiritual battle, both on a defensive perspective and in an offensive way as well. Ephesians 6, 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 1 Peter 1, 5, we are shielded by God's power through faith. Again, the same concept, that our faith is a shield against all that Satan's going to throw at us. Faith produces obedient action. Remember, remember 1 Kings 18, Elijah on Carmel, verse 36. I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. We often think of this miracle and we think, wow, this is the greatest miracle in the Bible. How do you think it up? <laughs> at least that's how I used to think about it. It wasn't just, again, that might have something to do with my background. <laughs> oh, he had a great idea and just God did it for him. No, he did this at God's command. He faithfully obeyed what God commanded him to do. Nothing more, nothing less. And God blessed him as he walked in faithful obedience to him. The shield of faith is big and it protected from flaming arrows, or the Roman shield. It linked up and overlapped with other shields to protect from arrows and other types of attacks that these soldiers would face. The fiery darts are stopped at that shield. They never make it into your mental and emotional world. They never have an opportunity to penetrate your thoughts and feelings. Where the attack is going to be is in your thoughts and your feelings. And so those fiery darts have a way to get in and nag at you and prevent you from effectiveness in ministry. Right? A couple years ago, we did this abortion debate. And it was really awesome. <laughs> we, I mean, if ever there was a slaughtering of the opposition, it was that night. I mean, it was, it was absolutely horrible for them. And we were actually kind. I walked out and I thought, it's the first debate I've ever done that I didn't interrupt someone. <laughs> I felt great. I felt like, whew, you remember, Mark and I debated the atheist and I interrupted that guy three times that night. I felt later like a moron. But this debate, I didn't do that. I was actually kind and Christ-like and I didn't interrupt. And we clobbered. I thought, what could go wrong? I thought that until the week later when Planned Parenthood called the school and said they were going to sue the school and me. <laughs> That little fiery dart got into my head. 
I remember calling Austin saying, I feel so weak, I don't think I can physically stand up right now. Like, I was so scared. And all this gossip was starting on campus, and I told Malcolm, too, one day. Remember that, Malcolm? We had our discipleship appointment off campus, and I looked at Malcolm. <laughs> this is the first time I went to campus after hearing this, you know? And I had students coming up. I had three different students from three different campuses say, our professor took a significant part of their lecture today to talk about you by name and how bad you are, et cetera, et cetera. And one of them even wrote my name across the board <laughs> and said that I was that I was some pro-lifer from Farmington that just came up to rile things up. <laughs> Where'd you guys come up with this stuff, you know? But anyway, I was freaking out. Like, I'm the talk of the campus, everybody hates me, so I tell Malcolm, Malcolm, I, I know we're in different cars, but is there any way we could park next to each other and we could walk together on the campus? <laughs> just that I just need your physical and emotional support next to me to walk into the cub together. <laughs> As I know, all these people are going to be, like, pointing at me, you know? And so thank you, Malcolm, for going up there with me. But anyway, I was letting that dark get into my head. Instead of saying, by faith, I'm trusting you, God. Who's Planned Parenthood to you? <laughs> They're your enemy, God. And they, they have nothing on you. And I can trust you by faith. And it took a little bit of time to get to that perspective. It took actually acting that out. And taking steps of belief, and God totally protected us. I mean, it all just vanished, and I never even heard another statement from them. They all just left. Anyway, so those fiery darts could look like opportunities. Here are some of the fiery darts. They could look like opportunities. Jesus was tempted by Satan with good things in some situations, and he'll do that with you too. Aaron and I have been asked, I think, three times to be lead pastors of a church and one time to be an assistant pastor of a church. Would that be a good thing to pastor a church? Yeah, it wouldn't be bad. That's not what we're called to, okay? You might get asked to do 99 different good things or think of 99 different good things. They're oftentimes going to be a fiery dart that aren't what you're supposed to do meant to distract you from your purpose, okay? The good is often the enemy of the best. Russ said it this morning. You have to know your purpose as you're on staff. And be committed to walking that out as God directs. Not just looking for greener pastures. People, believers, unbelievers, etc. will gossip and slander about you. Like I jokingly said last night. I guess I wasn't joking because it's true. But I think it's funny. I got home from Crush Beer and there was an email. Nate. Or it was before Crush Beer. Nate, just checking. Because I don't like to believe this stuff without going back to the source. Somebody says you're supporting gay marriage. <laughs> I said, actually, the reality is I just got into a lot of trouble on Facebook for opposing that. I had a gay uncle and a lot of atheists get mad at me and jump all over me and yada, yada, yada. But yeah, nothing could be further from the truth. I said, where's that coming from? Oh, this lady in our church that always likes to stir up lots of weird issues. <laughs> so anyway, you might hear from Christians. You might hear from non-Christians. People aren't your enemy. But the attack often comes from people. Through people from Satan, I guess would be better to say. So respond to people and attacks with love and forgiveness, realizing that it's really Satan. Okay, circumstances, school, money, job, distractions, etc. Respond to those circumstantial attacks with trust and by walking by faith. Temptations. You will be tempted in ministry with a million different things. Might be uh, $25 million. 
25 million dollars. <laughs> I don't know what your temptation is. <laughs> but anyway, you will have temptations in ministry. Guaranteed. No doubt about it. You'll have temptations in ministry. Respond to those. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under him. Trust him when you face those fiery darts. Mental attacks, depression, anxiety, fear, doubt, and insecurities are guaranteed in ministry. I promise you, they'll come. And when they come, realize it's an attack. Don't just struggle under the weight of it going, how could this ever happen to me, God? <laughs> realize this is an attack from Satan. That fear, that depression, that anxiety, those insecurities, they're from Satan. Forrest, I promise you, you're going to be meeting with students thinking, they don't want to meet with me. They think I'm stupid. <laughs> I, I've thought that about so many different appointments that I've had with guys. Discipleship isn't my natural strength. And so many times I'm walking to an appointment. Malcolm doesn't want to meet with me. He's probably mad I set up this appointment. And then I'm confronting those things in my head. That's a stupid lie from Satan. And I'm not going to believe it. I mean, the lie is there. The attack is there. But I'm not going to buy it. Does that make sense? So don't buy it in ministry. Please. I'm begging you, new staff. Don't buy it. Extinguish those fiery arrows with the shield of faith and by placing that faith in God's word alone. Defend yourself with scripture again, just like Jesus did. Other attacks that you might face might literally be demonic experiences. Respond to these by verbally and or by exercising your authority as God's child, rebuking in Jesus' name by faith with scripture and in prayer. Um, this is something that I think I know Russ has talked about some experiences that he's had. I've definitely had visible demonic experiences. I don't think we should overemphasize this in the least bit, but I wouldn't be surprised if something like that happens in your ministry. Just be aware. You have authority over any of those issues. In Scripture, we're told, exercise authority over demonic issues as a believer. Acts 19, 13 through 16 describes this. Rebuking them in Jesus' name. Luke 10, 17 through 20 and Acts 16, 18. These are examples in Scripture not necessarily commands. Using scripture Matthew, scripture, Matthew 4, 1 through 11, and Luke 4, 1 through 13. By faith, Matthew 17, 18. Believing and praying, Mark 9, 25 through 29. And telling them to go, Matthew 8. Telling them to come out, Matthew 5, 8. And, uh, and to be quiet, Luke 4, 35. Those are specific demonic issues that came up and how believers respond to those in scripture. I, again, do not think you should overemphasize on, on that. But just recognize, you still have authority in Christ's name by faith. Once I was, as a student, we had an experience like that with some other students, and it opened, that they all saw, and it opened up a very real opportunity to share the gospel with a couple non-Christian guys that saw a very crazy demonic experience um, with us in the car. Uh, I can tell you more about that later, but just be ready to focus them back on Jesus and yourself back on Jesus. The fallout is always from these attacks, mental and emotional. Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you, right? And 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. As that mental and emotional attack happens and the fallout in your mind and emotions happens, go back to him and his word. 
and realize that he will keep you in perfect peace, extinguishing those fiery doubts with the shield of faith. So walking by faith, we extinguish these attacks. We take up the shield of faith practically by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5.7. And this will have to happen in your ministry. You have got to walk by faith. Okay, Ephesians 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, we're told of the hope of salvation, right? And the Greek helmets apparently had images of hope on them that would inspire the warrior to be successful in battle. So they'd have images of their family, their hometown, things like that, that would remind them as they put that helmet on what they had to fight for and to live for. I hear that's why the Navy SEALs, they try to pick... Men that have wives and families and, and homes back in the U.S. Because they, want, they know they're going to be in the most dangerous situations. And they want them to have something to come back to. They want them to have a reason to survive in those battles. Where a young 18-year-old might easily give up. Somebody that's 32 and has a wife and kids back home is going to fight harder. Okay? And now we're called to take on the helmet of salvation. Your thinking needs to be protected with the hope that you have in Christ. Our hope, salvation, the fact that the battle is already won, the fact that your ministry is not in vain, right? That keeps our perspective strong in the battle. 2 Corinthians 14 tells us about an eternal perspective that we can have, right? And my encouragement to you on staff is to have that hopeful perspective as you serve on campus, not focusing on the negatives, but focusing on the positives. Once we had a really bad year, Austin and Laura, it was your second year on campus, it was our first year on campus. <laughs> you guys remember that? There was gossip and slander, and I mean, everything just burned to the ground. It was, it was terrible. And later, I was talking to Andrew Van Attic, who might have become a Christian that year or the year before, but he was a really young Christian then. And he tells me later, as he was going into full-time ministry, how do you communicate those things to your supporters? And I, he goes, isn't it being dishonest if you don't tell them all the bad stuff that's happening in ministry? And I said, no. I want to tell them what God is doing, not what Satan is doing. And I think that's our perspective, guys. Your hope has to be in what God is doing, not focusing on what Satan's doing, right? But your hope is in him. So we put on the helmet of salvation that guards our thinking, first by being saved in an eternal sense, and second, by keeping our hope focused on him for his salvation and solution in everyday circumstances. Realizing that my hope is in him when this atheist administrator sends me this stupid email. Right? My hope is not that this guy will just come to his senses. He's blinded by Satan. My hope is in God. Right? Okay, Ephesians six seventeen part B. In the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We win the battle by going on the offensive. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Hebrews 4.12, for, for the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Right? So God's Word is the sword that we use. It's our offensive weapon in this battle. The Spirit reveals God's Word to us by teaching us, John 14.26 and 1 Corinthians 2.12. Okay? He, the Holy Spirit, reminds us of Christ's words, John 14, 26, giving us Christ's mind and thinking, 1 Corinthians 2, 16, and guiding us into all truth, John 16, verse 13. The Holy Spirit is making God's word alive in your life and ministry to be an offensive weapon, effective for winning this battle and making him known. 
He will enable you to fight the battle with Scripture like Jesus did. Again, in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. So give him something to work with, okay? That's my encouragement on staff. Don't be passive about Scripture memory, about Scripture learning, about growing in God's Word. Give the Holy Spirit something to work with in your life and ministry. Remember your throne checks daily as you surrender to His power and authority to do what He wants with what you've given Him to work with, right? So we use the sword of the Spirit by allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us and living moment by moment, applying the truth of His Word in power. Okay, we're close to the end. Ephesians 6.18, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert always and always keep on praying for all the saints. So prayer directed by the Holy Spirit, again, because of my background, it took me till college to figure out what that was talking about. <laughs> I can tell you more about what I thought it was <laughs> before incorrectly. But the reality here is we're surrendered to the Holy Spirit, allowing Him to direct us to pray throughout the day. There are going to be times on campus where God directs you to pray for a student, for an issue, for something or rather. I cannot tell you how many times I've walked onto campus, thought, oh my gosh, I need to pray for so-and-so. I'll pray, God, da-da-da-da-da for so-and-so. God, please let me see this person so I can continue that evangelistic conversation. Walk around the corner, we're face-to-face. <laughs> Things like this have happened so often, it's unbelievable. And so I want to encourage you to be directed by the Holy Spirit as you serve in ministry, allowing Him to lead you in prayer. Laura has stories of God leading you to pray for the table next to you, right? And then hearing what they're talking about, you know, and God led you to be praying for them and to be ready to reach out to them. So, allow Him to lead you. Philippians 4, 6-7, through 7, and most of you know this, do not be anxious about anything. In ministry, don't be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer is not an option. It is the solution in ministry. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says we're co-laborers with Christ. You co-labor with Christ in support raising. You co-labor with Christ in prayer. You co-labor with Christ in evangelism. You co-labor with Christ in discipleship. Prayer is tantamount to surviving a battle and flourishing and thriving and winning the battle as you fight alongside him, co-laboring with him in prayer. And through that, he is going to give you his peace, which transcends all understanding in ministry, right? So cultivate an active prayer life in ministry, realizing that is as fundamental to the battle as anything else is. Okay, Ephesians six nineteen through 20. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So continuing from the aspect of prayer, he goes back to the issue of evangelism, which we already mentioned. But he concludes talking about the necessity in battle for evangelism. A note on hardship, discipline, trials, and adversities. Jesus told you in John 16, that you will have trouble in this world. But to take heart, he's overcome the world. 2 Timothy 3.12, you've been told that you'll face persecution. Expect it in ministry from every angle and direction. The purpose of these attacks, guys... The reason God doesn't just kill all this in front of you so you don't have to face the attack. Couldn't God do that? Just stop Satan. Remember Job? Satan comes to God. Can I attack Job this way? And what happens? God allows it. He's on a short leash and he could stop the spiritual attack. So why does he allow it in your life and ministry? 
I want to encourage you with it. Christ's likeness is his purpose, not just perfect circumstances. Christ isn't just concerned with what hope is going to do for him. He's concerned with how hope is going to become more like him, right? And some of these trials and battles he will allow towards that end. Sometimes Satan's attacks are allowed for God's purposes and your growth, maturity, and discipleship. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10 To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, God allows the spiritual battle in our lives to make us more like him, and to allow his strength to be made perfect in your weakness. So, don't flip out when the battle comes. <laughs> you know that you have the victory. But be ready to let him transform you into his likeness through this process. 1 Peter 4.19 was the verse that Russ shared with me when, when we were kind of technically on the front page of the Denver Post. <laughs> For bad reasons. <laughs> Mark remembers the story all too well. <laughs> yes, but it said, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. I was freaking out and Russ sent me that verse. It said, when you suffer according to God's will, commit yourself to your faithful creator and continue to do good. When you realize that there are attacks in ministry, realize that you can surrender to your faithful creator and continue to do the ministry he's called you to do, allowing him to make you more like him in this sometimes hard process. Okay, Hebrews 12, 7 through 11. We will be done in 10 minutes. And your hardship is discipline. God is treating you as sons. No, discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See, he's making you more like him as you stand strong through these circumstances. And James 1, 2 through 4, we all know this too well. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, when the ranch doesn't get done on time, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And again, guys, remember Daniel 10. And, I, and it's on page 84 in the leadership packet, a little synopsis of it at the beginning. But God did not instantly end the spiritual battle that Daniel was engaged in. He fasted for 21 days in this battle, right? And God allowed the battle to continue. God could have ended it, but he allowed it to continue. And he'll do that sometimes in your ministry to develop you and your students. Right? Didn't you guys see some good fruit from your first Asia project? Am I remembering correctly? Second Asia was the hard one. Our second Asia was the hard one? But every, every one of those students except for one that we know of has returned overseas at least once. See, sometimes God will allow a battle, and he'll allow it to be hard, and you'll see good fruit in your life and in others' lives later as a result of it. Be disciplined. Russ talked this morning about 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, being disciplined in the battle, right? Your comfort zones will be destroyed. 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4, right after 
Paul tells Timothy about this multiplicational aspect of ministry in verse 2. He continues saying, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer, which is my encouragement that in doing the Great Commission, that you not get entangled in other things, but that you please your commanding officer, enduring hardship when it comes, enduring spiritual battle when it comes, persevering through attack, allowing God to develop your character to make you more like him. Sir Winston Churchill said, and this is the opposite side of the spectrum from Chamberlain that we discussed earlier, never give in, never, 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 in nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in, never yield the force, Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Isn't that good? That's my encouragement to you as staff. Never give in. Never, never, never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in. Never yield the force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Persevere and be faithful in ministry. Right? To please your commanding officer. Learn and get stronger. Psalm 18 says he trains you and arms you with strength for the battle. Your first year... I don't want to freak you out, <laughs> but you will probably face trials in your second, in your third, in your 44th. And all along the way, he is training you for battle, and he's making your arms strong for battle so that you can be even more effective for him till the day that you die and go to be with him. The battle is the Lord's. This will be a great year, I promise you. Your first year on staff will be great. We look back at some of the trials that we went through our first year on staff, and all things considered, it was a great year. We saw God come through for us in our support. We saw God raise $20,000 as we raised support to cover the cost of our support trip around the country. We took off. We had not more than a few hundred dollars in our account, and we were going to be gone for three months on the road. It wasn't going to make... We weren't going to cover the bills, right? And God did so many miracles. So many. One morning, we had a few hundred dollars. We were in Texas. We were getting ready for the next leg of our trip. Didn't know how we were going to fund the next leg of the trip, Right? And I have $40, 220s in my pocket. We're at this church. We're not even getting to speak. Just share a little blurb about what we're doing. And it's a church that I spent a few years in as a kid in Texas, in Bastrop. And so the first service, I give $20 in offering. Second service, they're getting ready for the offering. And I'm going, I'm not giving. I already gave. I was here the first service, so I don't have to give the second service. And I felt so convicted. What a terrible concept. What a terrible way to treat God's money. And so I decided, you know what? I'm going to give this second $20, even though I don't know how we're going to make it to our next destination. I'm giving this $20 to God. And I had only decided that in my mind, I didn't even yet have an opportunity to give it because we were getting, we were approaching that time, but it had not yet come. Now the lady that was leading worship that morning before the offering, which she was going to announce, let everybody give, she just says, how many of you guys are excited about Nate and Aaron are going to do with their wives. I'm like, this is a little deviation from what's going on. Eric's like, yeah, we are. And she goes, how many of you guys would give to them if you financially could? And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she goes, well, I want to tell you, you can. I don't care if you have to sacrifice going out to eat after church today. I don't care if you have to, like, hold back a little bit on going to movies this month. You can give to them. And so right now, go and give to them. Right now. We're going to sing, you go give to them. <laughs> for half an hour, we had people like coming up putting checks in our, like in my, I mean like in back pockets, front pockets. We're like turning around, people were just giving us money. We, we were given $700 cash that morning and hundreds more in checks. Okay? 
Now I look back at that, is that a good thing from our first year on staff? Did God show himself to be true in battle? I mean, there are hard battles, but it was so good. So don't poison your thinking thinking it's going to be a bad year, right? Be excited about what will be done and what God will do, and then be ready for attack when it comes. The battle is the Lord's. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. You have to be dependent on him. Your quiet time is vital, guys. Meditate on his word constantly. Pray continually, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Fight the battle by praising God. Remember Jehoshaphat's example in 2 Chronicles 20. You're fighting this battle, praising him joyfully exclaiming to yourself and to the world who he is. Praise is literally describing God's character and acts. That's how you fight the battle, whether that's through music like Brandon's so good at doing, or verbally, I don't care, but praise the Lord and win the battle. Declare him to the world around you. Stay strong with a perspective of joy in ministry. Nehemiah 8.10 says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Remember the context of the book of Nehemiah and what they're doing. The joy of the Lord is your strength in ministry, guys. So don't be scared or timid or shy or worried about the attack, but be joyful in the Lord and be strong in that joy. Rejoice in Him. Philippians 3, 1 and 4, 4 tell us to rejoice in the Lord always. Do that on staff this year. And remember that the battle belongs to the Lord, we're told in 1 Samuel 17, 47. And God will save us in battle. We're told that in Hosea 1, 7. I want to conclude with Romans 8, 37. And you guys know this. But in all these things... Accusation, condemnation, separation from God, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, persecution, and sword. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, guys. You're more than a conqueror in this spiritual battle. So stand up in that victory that he has already made you victorious in. Overcome with good by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. The word of God and your faith because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's the perspective to maintain this year. So be ready for the battle, be ready for the fight, but be ready to excel as you walk in the power of his Holy Spirit. Okay? So that's it. It is about 14 after. So can I just pray? God, thank it. We thank you so much, Jesus, that you have made us strong, God, that you're our strength, and that you preserve us, and that you make us victorious in battle. God, I thank you so much for each of these new staff. God, I just... I thank you right now, God, for Scott and Natalie, for Brad, for Forrest, for Hope, for Brandon, Shelly, Mark, and Hetty, and the huge victory that each of them have already had in deciding to live their entire lives to serve you, God. And I know that they're going to face attack, God, and I know that you're going to protect them, and that you've already made them more than conquerors, God. I pray that you continue to protect us as a team and to help us boldly walk in your victory in the spiritual battle that we'll all face till the day we die. We love you so much, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. And we thank you as we think about that for winning this at the cross for us. We love you, Jesus. Amen.